HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Sunday to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and I have a special co-host in-house today, Samia Khan. Thanks for joining me, Samia. Thanks for having me. Samia is a cheesemaker and cheese lover in training, currently working at Cato Corner Farm in Connecticut, so I'm very happy to have her here. Um, And our show today is being sponsored by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market is proud to support independent farms and small business in our communities. Here's what's fresh in their produce departments this week. Note availability is subject to change. From New York, yellow plums, sugar plums, red onions, and sour cherries. From New Jersey, peaches. Oh, from New Jersey, peaches, green peppers, eggplant, cucumbers, leeks, shiitake, mushrooms, spinach, arugula, red and green leaf lettuce, radishes, green and yellow squash, mint, sunflowers, and orchids. From Connecticut, currant juice, and assorted sprouts. Wow. I almost couldn't say that all in one breath. Um, so thank you to Whole Foods for sponsoring our show. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Jack Insley, and our engineer, Nat Wiener, for being with us. Um, so summertime. Uh, I don't know about everywhere else in the world, but in Brooklyn, it is hot humid and steamy Um, and from my experience at the shop recently people have not been thinking about eating copious amounts of cheese Um, or if they do it's in the mozzarella or feta form something very fresh light and tangy Um, but although summer's not the time to you know stuff your face with comfort food necessarily summer is the most exciting and probably most exhausting time of the year for cheesemakers who are busy at work in hot, steamy cheese houses that are way hotter than the rest of the world, um, making excellent cheese. Um, my guest today, Andy Hatch of Uplands Cheese, knows about that more than anybody because he's in the thick of making Pleasant Ridge Reserve all summer long. Um, Andy, are you with us? I am, man. Hi. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Uh, happy to. <laughs> um, so before uh, we get started, you know, I before I get started grilling you with tons of questions, um, I just wanted to, to sort of do a really brief description of um, of transhumans and the uh, tradition of making 
making cheese in the summer, uh, especially Alpine cheeses, like the ones you guys make at Pleasant Ridge. Um, and so I'm just going to do that really briefly, and then we'll we'll talk more about specifically uh, Pleasant Ridge. But transhumans is uh, is a European is a tradition that was born in in Europe and actually probably other places long before that, um, where farmers would bring their animals um, high up in the mountains in the summertime to find the best uh, forage and the best pasture for them. So in May, um, all the all the farmers, usually usually the bachelors, <laughs> would uh, tromp up the mountain with their herd and spend the whole summer up there. And um, in the Alps, they would uh, milk the cows right out there in the field and pool the milk together and then bring it to a, a communal facility where it would be made into giant wheels of Gruyere and Comte. And the idea was uh, to take advantage of all that sunshine and all the, the nutrients um, that it provided um, to the cows in the form of grass and then to the humans in the form of milk and turn that into something that humans could eat all winter long. Um, so those wheels of cheese were made in the summer and then aged um, until the winter months when they would be literally kind of rolled down the mountain to market um, and, you know, eaten up as plain cheese or in fondues or over roasted potatoes as raclettes or, um, you know, you name it. Um, cheese goes in pretty much pretty much everything. Um, and so though Wisconsin is a far, you know, distance from, <laughs> from the Alps, the uh, tradition of seasonal cheesemaking is alive and well at Pleasant Ridge or at Uplands Cheese. Um, so Andy, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Uplands Cheese and how you came to be a cheesemaker there. Sure. Um, we are a grass-based dairy and a seasonal dairy, and so... And we were uh, a seasonal grass-based dairy before we began making cheese here about 10 years ago. And uh, so our farm already sort of mimics those seasonal alpine patterns where we milk our cows in the summer and then dry them up in the winter. So they're all having calves in the spring to coincide with the emergence of spring grass. And then as we get into the winter and pasture stops growing, we stop milking. Um, so there are a lot of reasons to farm like that. Um, it supports a more natural rhythm and a more natural diet for the cows. Uh, the carbon footprint is smaller. You're running less machines to harvest feed and uh, mechanically and spread manure. You sort of let the cows harvest their own feed and spread their own manure. Uh, it, easier on the farmer. You're not in a barn all day. So there are a lot of reasons um, that farming like that can make sense. Uh, so we were farming like that for all of those reasons. And when it came time uh, for us to start making a cheese, we wanted to select a variety that um, suited our farming style. So we looked uh, to the Alps, to the cheeses, uh, like, like Anne mentioned, Gruyere and Comte and Beaufort, uh, because we were already farming that way. And so uh, from day one, we've been in a, a seasonal cheese operation. Uh, so it's uh, in tune with the, the milking rhythm of our cows. So we begin making cheese in, in May usually, and we'll wind up in, in October. Uh, and so all the, summer long, it's kind of like a, a, a marathon sprint. You guys, you guys work hard in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm not sure I could do it year-round, but uh, <laughs> the days are longer. You've got the energy. It's sort of like a squirrel. You gather all your nuts, make big piles, fill the caves, and then we... Uh, 
we get to take it easy in the winter. <laughs> nice, which I'm sure isn't exactly easy. I'm sure there's plenty of work to do on the farm then, too. Uh, a mere, yeah, 40 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, tell us about uh, about the cows at, at Pleasant or at um, Uplands Cheese. Um, you guys have sort of a, a a special sort of blend of breed of cows, isn't that right? Yeah, we're a little bit unusual in that way. Most dairy farms um, milk just a single breed of cow, and we've crossbred nine different breeds together. And we've been doing that for a while uh, on the farm in a, in a closed herd, which means we don't buy in animals. So we're continually selecting for animals that, that do well on our farm. And so uh, this blend has sort of generated uh, our own style of cow. Uh, and it's one that, that does well in this, this type of system. Um, and what they're are outside some of the... all year, and they need to be able to uh, graze and walk a lot. Absolutely. So what are, I mean, so I feel like Americans, when they think of milk cows, they think of Holsteins, those, those black and white ones. Um, can you tell us about some of the different breeds that are, uh, that are part of your herd? Sure. Um, well, we, we uh, use Holstein genetics. We also use Jersey genetics, which is another um, fairly common herd. Brown Swiss, most people are familiar with. Um, uh, we also use a few French breeds, and two of those breeds come from the part of the Alps where they still practice transhumans, uh, Abondance and Tarentais. These are not common in the U.S., and uh, they sort of developed over thousands of years in the Alps because they're well-suited to that type of lifestyle. They can spend all day on their feet. Uh, uh, they're much hardier, smaller-framed cows. So we use some of those genetics, too, uh, which we've been happy with. It's like humans, like when, when we, like Midwesterners, go up to like Colorado or something, you know, we get a little like woozy. Right. <laughs> Those alpine cows are uh, well yeah, suited we to. Yeah, we need some you know, high altitude genetics. Yeah. And so can you tell, I mean, so obviously your milk is like amazingly high quality because the cheeses are just delicious and like, you know, show their, show their flavors and change, you know, throughout the years as they age out or throughout the year as the, as they age out to different sort of profiles. But can, how do you see the quality of the milk changing throughout the season in the cheese room? Well, our, uh, you know, cows generally follow a, um, a pattern in their lactation cycle uh, whereby the, the milk components change, and that's predictable um, for almost any cow. Uh, generally, they, they start out milking with more solids, more fats and proteins, and then those components dip down and then will rise up again at the end of the lactation. And we experience that in a magnified way because all of our cows are on the same lactation cycle. You know, so most dairy farms would stagger the calving cycle, so you'd have cows milking year-round, calving at different times, but since ours are all on the same lactation cycle, we see um, the milk change uh, pretty dramatically. So that makes it, uh, you have to stay on your toes to make a consistent cheese because uh, you need to make the cheese a little differently depending on, on how the milk is. Absolutely. And so do you personally have, um, do you notice uh, when you taste wheels from, you know, May versus wheels made in uh, October, do you taste um, different flavor profiles that you can sort of, you know, regularly identify? Or does it more just vary from batch to batch? Uh, uh, yes, it does. The, the most variation is batch to batch. And uh, you know, we test our milk every single day, and so you can sort of 
see that variation not just in what you're tasting, but in the measurements we take uh, on the milk itself. Fat and protein levels are the most basic measurements. Uh, I think yes, May cheeses have some um, different characteristics, typically than October cheeses. Um, and uh, one of those relates to fat content. The milk coming into October is getting much richer, and uh, we you can it's a more of a mouthfeel than a flavor difference, but it is identifiable usually. That's that's really fascinating. I mean, because um, actually, um, Samia and I were just talking about this before uh, we came out on the show. Uh, she took a, um, a sensory evaluation class up at VIAC, the Vermont Institute for Artisan mm-hmm. Cheese, mm-hmm. Um, and talking about how you identify some of those different flavors um, that are present. And in Alpine cheeses, those are especially um, apparent. Um, can you tell us a little bit, Samia, about your class and about the different things that you you know, learn to identify as flavor-wise in cheese? There's um, a variety of flavors. There's, you know, things you wouldn't even think that would be in cheese, like citrus uh, scents or pineapple or, you know, caramel notes and all that sort of thing. And there's various categories, and you just have to sort of um, really take your time and, like, you know, smell and, like, let it linger on your palate and really, like, concentrate on it. Otherwise, you know... Otherwise, I just put it in my mouth. I'm like, hmm, this tastes like cheese. <laughs> I like cheese. <laughs> but then you like really think about it. And it's really complex what goes into it. And I've tasted some of those um, extra-aged wheels of Pleasant Ridge that get up to, you know, 16 months or so. And I always taste, like, pineapples mm-hmm. and, like, crazy flavors. Now I do, for sure. But when I before I took that class, I'm like, this woman's talking crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as wheat germ in my cheese. <laughs> Do you guys do those kinds of evaluations on the farm? Do you guys regularly sit around and taste cheese and talk about it? and uh, Or is that just, uh, do you guys just kind of take the cheese home and enjoy it? And, and Are you asking me, Ann? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, we do regularly. Uh, when Starting when the cheese is about three months old and then periodically and until it goes out the door. So we look at it uh, on, on a schedule. And, yeah, we sit around and talk about it, make notes. Interesting, um, and so that that's the way you you know you learn about those the patterns that emerge seasonally, or you know, is just by repetitive um, tasting. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, what what's your favorite um, what's your favorite age profile of Pleasant Ridge? Um, I, generally thirteen months. I think there's something happens right about then that that is um, pretty special. Uh, I think there's another flavor um, pop, you could say, at about eight months. But it's always going to be subjective. I mean, we, we try to evaluate the cheese objectively uh, when we do these types of tastings. You know, we, we follow a protocol and make notes. Um, but when it comes to enjoying a cheese, I, I think that's always going to be subjective. So um, my personal preference, yes, I guess it's about a 13-month cheese. How about you? I like I like like the ten eleven month profile like actually right where it is right now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just feel like it's um, it's gone from being that younger cheese with a little bit more I don't know I hate to, like snappiness to it 
um, mm-hmm. texture-wise to being a little bit more dense and more smooth. It's just starting to um, show the beginnings of developing, you know, those little crystalline deliciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a little fruitier, a little sweet. Um, but yeah, I prefer like, you know, 10, 11, yeah, 13 months. Um, I prefer that, I guess I would say to the extra age stuff where I feel like it gets, um, just, it's really, really intense. Um, I like it. I like it right about now. Um, so let's see. Um, I think it's actually, we have to take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, about your travels and, and, um, and how those have influenced your cheese making. So, uh, stay with us on cutting the curd. Someone stole a kishka, someone stole a kishka, someone stole a kishka from the butcher shop. Who stole a kishka? Who stole a kishka? Who stole a kishka? Someone call a cop. Round and firm and fully packed, it was standing on the rack. Someone stole a kishka when I turned my back. Who stole a kishka? Who stole a kishka? Who stole a kishka? Would you bring it back? Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show today has been sponsored by Whole Foods, and my co-host is Samia Khan. Uh, my guest is Andy Hatch, cheesemaker at Pleasant or at uh, Uplands Cheese, who are makers of Pleasant Ridge Reserve. Um, that interim song was hilarious. Um, Andy, I asked him to play a polka song because we were talking, you know, um, about Wisconsin. And yes, that's, it felt like I was back in Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> But then they're talking about the kishka, which is a little bit more of like a New York thing, I want to say. It's like really, probably hard pressed to find a kishka in, uh, <laughs> in a Milwaukee. Kishka? Um, a kishka is like, uh, it's kind of like this liver dough concoction that you get at like Sammy's mm. Romanian Steakhouse on the Lower East Side. Um, they fry them. It, it's pretty intense. Um, they're like a heavy, yeah, liver dumpling of sorts. Mm. Um, Probably not what you eat in July. Yeah, no, again, <laughs> not what you would eat in July. <laughs> um, but so, Andy, I wanted to talk to you, too. I know that you've spent um, some time, you know, traveling around to um, different parts of these alpine regions where they where they make, uh, you know, cheeses like uh, Beaufort and, and also um, they have other winter cheeses. And I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your travels and what you've sort of seen and learned. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, well, I guess we could, yeah, you start. I don't know all where you've been. Uh, well, uh, it, it was early on, it was part of uh, my apprenticeship work. Um, you know, in Wisconsin, they sort of put you through your paces to become a cheesemaker. You have to serve apprenticeships and take classes, and you ultimately take a test in order to get a license to become a cheesemaker. Uh, we're the only state, I think, in the Union that does that. And so I, I did uh, my schooling here at the university and a couple of apprenticeships, and we have a great infrastructure here uh, as far as dairy farming and making cheese. Uh, there's a, a lot to learn. We don't have as much uh, experience as the old world in aging cheese, obviously. And uh, so I, I started taking trips over to Europe, um, mostly to learn about that end of the cheese making process. And, uh, and now, were these trips, were they sponsored by, um, you know, were they a part of school or was this just kind of extracurricular because you wanted to do it? 
this was sort of extra, uh, this was extracurricular, right? Okay, okay. Uh, uh, later on, now more recently, I've been going over and uh, getting some help from the state and the university and then coming back and, and giving presentations and sort of spreading the knowledge around. But early on, yeah, it was pretty hand-to-mouth and uh, um, just kind of scraped it together whenever I could get over there. Totally, totally. So where, um, where, have, what regions have you visited and what, what of those alpine cheeses have you, have you made or observed being made and... Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, I moved around a lot and didn't concentrate on the Alps. I spent a lot of time in, in Norway actually making goat cheese, and they have their own transhumans up there. Uh, I was on the fjords on the western side of the country, and oh, they wow. send the animals uh, up in the mountains in the summer. Uh, I spent um, a winter in Italy okay. making um, pecorino, making sheep cheese. Um, then some time in France, uh some in the Alps, some in the Auvergne, um, Austria, Ireland a little bit. I, uh, you know, I was like in my early 20s. I just, oh, I, you've been everywhere. I, I, I moved around as much as I could. And now later on, I've, I've been targeting the Alps more. I know I saw you out there this fall. Yeah, we had, we, um, Andy and I got to go to this, um, giant old military fort in the Savoie where they age, um, they age Comte and they had a couple hundred thousand wheels of Comte in there and uh, coming from all the local valleys and it was really really pretty incredible staggering it's like being in a library yeah yeah and 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 just yeah uh, all the all the work that goes into caring for those cheeses and the knowledge of the people that take care of those cheeses and how they know the flavors and the provenance of each and every one is is pretty pretty amazing um, but so, uh, I don't know if this is like super top secret or off limits to talk about, but in the wintertime in the Alps, they make a different kind of cheese, um, usually, uh, something called a Vacheron or the fall and winter, I guess, uh, Vacheron Mondor, uh, which is a softer cheese. It doesn't have to age quite as long. Um, and, uh, I guess it's more ideally suited to a different profile of milk, uh, maybe one with a higher fat content because it's sort of a higher moisture and uh, stinky, runny cheese. Um, and I, I've, I've heard rumors that you're playing around with something like that at, uh, at Uplands. Yes, that's right, we are. And so we actually, when I saw you out there this fall, I was on my way. I was either coming or going to uh, visiting some cheesemakers making that style of cheese uh, in, in the Jura. And yes, we're, uh, I've, I've got a, I'm eating a, a, a wheel right now, one of the trials. We're hoping to start selling it uh, this fall. It'll be called Rush Creek. Rush Creek. All right. You heard it here first, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't said it publicly yet. We, it, there's, it, the Rush Creek is, uh, uh, starts behind our barn. There's a, the headwaters of it is a spring on the farm. Oh, wow. Very cool. Very cool. And so is it like the traditional um, Vacheron? Is it, is it bound in, in wood or is it... Uh, Yes, we followed most of those precepts. Now, the obvious difference is that it, it, because it's raw milk in the States, it's over 60 days. So, yeah, and Vacheron is typically a 30, 35-day cheese. So, really, that changes everything. Uh, so, our, my goal isn't so much to rep, replicate Vacheron, but to borrow some of those uh, ideas to do our, our own thing, which is really the luxury of American cheesemakers, right? We can... Uh, pick and choose from those old world traditions, decide which ones make sense for us. Absolutely. Which ones don't. And sometimes I guess the choice is made for us, like the 60-day rule, but 
Um, I think interesting things happen to a cheese like that when you have to take it out over 60 days. Um, it becomes, well, it'll it inevitably becomes different than the French vache friend. Yeah, well, and you could never replicate a recipe exactly anyways, because everything's different. You know, the forage is different. The, um, you know, the, the cows are different. The cheesemaker's right. hand is different. And, right. and so, yeah, it's always going to be sort of a, I guess it could be like an homage or something, but it's always going to be its own, its own cheese. Right. It doesn't really, it, it doesn't make sense. Plus, it's no fun just to try to copy somebody else. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, exactly. You've got to, got to hone your own craft. But it was very valuable um, for me to go over there and take a look at what they're doing because it's a completely different um, animal from the hard cheese. And it's so impressive that the cheesemakers over there um, have mastered both. Yeah. Um, so Absolutely. I'm sure I know I really admire some of the Cato Corner soft cheeses. I could probably get yeah, some advice tasty. while we're on the phone. <laughs> but maybe that could wait. Um, but it's been a steep learning curve. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, Pleasant, uh, you know, Uplands, Uplands cheese is different from a lot of other farms, say, say Cato Corner, like Cato Corner, because um, you guys really only focus on, on the one cheese, on the Pleasant Ridge, whereas right. a lot of other farmstead cheesemakers really kind of spread their, spread their curds around and make a lot of different, different cheeses. Um, and I think there are benefits to both. I think, obviously, you know, a farm like Cato Corner, they're coming into the farmer's markets. They're going to sell, you know, they, they have to offer variety. But I also think, personally for me, I think if I were to be a cheesemaker, I would focus on one, at least for, yeah, like the first 10 years or so, and then maybe, like, try to branch out. Because it is so nuanced and so difficult just to master one. Um, how is it? Can you tell us a little bit about the difference in process between making Pleasant Ridge and making uh, Rush Creek? Sure. Yeah, um, everything is different. For um, for those listeners that know a little bit um, about cheese making, uh, to make a dry, hard cheese like Pleasant Ridge, you you need to force as much water out of it as possible, and you do that by cutting it into small curds and cooking it to a high temperature and stirring it, and then. Soft cheeses like Vacheren, or uh, which has a body similar to Brie or Camembert, it's very soft and gooey, you want to leave a lot of water in. And so you don't cut it into small curds. You don't heat it uh, or stir it as much. Um, so that process while you're making the cheese is different. And then in the ripening rooms, uh, it's also very different because obviously moisture drives uh, all life, uh, and so these cheeses ripen so much more quickly, these soft cheeses, than, than the hard cheeses, um, that you really have to stay on top of it. It's like driving a car 80 miles an hour instead of 30 miles an hour. You can go off track uh, really quickly, <laughs> and I believe me, I have a number of times already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so what is what is the season going to look like at Uplands, um, you know, going forward? Does that mean that you're going to make cheese in the wintertime, or does that mean, I don't know? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, I know. Whoa. Crazy. Hey. hey. <laughs> uh, we're you, you cheese makers, we, yeah. <laughs> I still have to ski. Uh, no, the cows will still dry up by about Christmas. Um, so... Uh, our plan, uh, at least this year, initially, we'll start making cheese um, probably the first week in September. So we'll overlap with Pleasant Ridge. And so that'll be all grass-fed milk still, September and October. We'll be making Rush Creek at the same time as we're making Pleasant Ridge. We'll make a tiny bit of Rush Creek. Uh, and then in November and December, the cows, the, the pasture stops growing. They stay out on the grass, and they, they'll nibble it even through snow. Hmm. But their diet shifts more heavily to hay. 
Uh, and in those months, we, we stop making Pleasant Ridge, usually the end of October, and then we'll continue to make Rush Creek until about Christmas. Wow. Um, and that'll be it. it. It'll be very small quantities, especially this first year. Um, and then uh, once we get the hang of it, we'll, we expect to uh, scale up. But we're generally, we're looking really just at the fall. Cool. cool. I, uh, so I when do I we'll place my pre-orders? No. <laughs> 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 I imagine. Well, yeah, that'll be a whole other can of worms. Shipping a shipping a cheese like that versus uh, shipping a, a, a hard cheese like uh, Pleasant Ridge. Yes, oh. gosh. I, I, does the hooligan? Do you ship your cheese around the country? Yep, we ship hooligan. And do you overnight it? Um, it's usually overnight or two day. Yeah. At the most. Um, but yeah, you have to use like the ice cool packs and insulate the box as much as possible. And right. Yeah. Right. Right, we we have it pretty easy. We uh, except for this, these hot months now, we just put Pleasant Ridge in a box and UPS it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Again. yeah, I think we'll have a lot to learn there too. Oh yeah, packaging and shipping—the least fun <laughs> part of cheese making. Yeah. I'm convinced. It's like it, it must be somebody's passion. I don't know, but it's not mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <gasps> um. Well, so what? Uh, so um, how how are you feeling this year? How's life on the farm? Are you totally like? Are you feeling good? Are you got good energy going? Or are you right, totally right now, exhausted? We just, we just took a break from making cheese. Um, are you making cheese today? No, I'm not. Oh, good. I have my feet on the desk. Um, <laughs> I'm, I've, I've been in the caves washing cheese, but uh, we typically take a break in a few weeks for a few weeks in the middle of the summer. Um, it's really hot give the cows a break, give ourselves a break. Uh, I, I, the cheese changes in this much heat. The cows are under stress. The milk's a little different. We have the luxury of being able to sell our milk when we don't want to make it into cheese. So uh, that just started on Thursday. So I'm feeling great. I've been fishing and um, drinking beer and sleeping and doing all those things I can't do otherwise. <laughs> oh, that sounds, that sounds like what summer should be. Yeah. Uh, so- but otherwise, it's been great. We've had a lot of rain uh, I don't know what it's been like in New York, but we had eight, some eight inches of rain in, in June, so the pastures are just perfect. It's almost in sh- some ways a shame to stop making cheese because everything uh, is looking gorgeous. Milk has been fantastic. Well, hey, that's uh, I think it's really uh, it's really admirable and really smart of you guys to do it that way because otherwise, yeah, it is. It's like a, a marathon sprint for well, you know, m- close to six months, and that's a long <laughs> that's a long time. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it looks admirable and smart when it rains. Of course, when it doesn't rain, then uh, we we feel foolish and frustrated. <laughs> well, well then, good. Well then, take it take it for this year because uh, yeah, you guys definitely deserve deserve to chill out a little bit. Um, so it's, uh, it is hot here. I'm sure it's hot in New York. It sounds like. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really pretty hot. Um, I. Uh, yeah, but we're we're making do. We're hanging out in the shade at Roberta's. It's a it's a good Sunday. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for taking the time to tell us about your cheese making process and um, and about the seasonality of uh, Pleasant Ridge. And um, we look forward to our next uh, well, the fall season, so we can uh, we can get a little nibble of your of the Rush Creek. Great, great. Um, thanks for having me in. Yeah, no, so thanks for, uh, and thanks for being here, Samia. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I learned a lot. We'll, we'll hear lots of good things from Samia in the future, and uh, join us next Sunday for another episode of Cutting the Curd. 